How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? Good? Good. Kind of so-so? Yeah. How's everybody? How many of you love Jesus this morning? Anybody? There you go. So you love Jesus more than you're doing okay this morning. That's a good thing. That's where we want to be right there. So it's good to see you here this morning. Glad to be back. Uh, I tell you, it's, uh, it's always good to get away, get away and, and uh, just have some downtime but for me personally, it's always great to get back. Uh, this is home to me, and I just, uh, when I get away for too long, I miss home, and so uh, it's good to be back here with you and to be back uh, up here. I wanna thank Michael and, and Darren for filling in while I'm gone and wrapping up our last series. Uh, I, I know they did a great job, and, um, but, uh, but it's good to be back here with you here this morning. And I just also wanna just say, what an incredible week we've had here this last week with DPK Camp. You saw a little bit of a highlight video right there for just a moment, but we had over 350 kids in here this week, amen, and uh, that's worth celebrating to me, and uh, the first service must have more parents because they just went crazy, and then the second service was like, oh, okay, 350 kids, what's that, you know, but, but anyway, we had 350 kids, but here's what's really remarkable is God showed up, and, and it was really amazing because uh, one of the things that we like to do is we like to have conversations with children about Jesus, obviously. Uh, that's what we want to do. And uh, we, we also want to follow up throughout the week and just talk to parents and stuff. But we do know that at least six children gave their life to Jesus this week. And so that's worth celebrating here. We have many more conversations that we want to have and follow up with parents and stuff over the weeks to come. But but we're very excited about those six who, who have definitely given their life to Christ and decided that they wanna be followers of Jesus. And so that was really just remarkable and just so excited. I also wanna say, as a way of an announcement uh, this morning, that tonight at six o'clock, if you are a parent of a youth, or if you are sitting here today and you are a youth, and that is upcoming sixth graders and all the way through 12th, I want to invite you tonight to a special gathering uh, tonight at 6 o'clock to come and, and, uh, for a, a, a time of meeting and greeting our new youth pastor. And so very excited about that. Um, I'm not going to bring him up on stage right now, but it, he is sitting right over here. So if you want to come see him after the service. But uh, I want to introduce you in the way of just offering a little bit of a testimony to who he is this morning. Uh, Ross and Caroline Strickland uh, have been a part of our church before. Uh, in fact, when they were in, in, uh, in college here at VSU, they were a part of our church and served here uh, faithfully for about three or four years and just really plugged into the life of the church. Uh, and, and so after college, Ross ended up going to uh, Southern Seminary, or as those guys that go to Southern Seminary like to call it, the Southern Seminary. And so he, he went there, he graduated from Southern and, and has been doing youth ministry ever since. And we are blessed to have him back. But we are saving the introductions uh, for tonight and the, the opportunity to just have some conversation with him. If you, have, if you are a parent, we want to invite you to come out. We're gonna provide dinner and just have a time of meeting and greeting and hearing the vision for our student ministry. So very excited about that, but very excited about a lot of things for the fall. I tell you, God is really moving in this church and really just alive and well and transforming lives. And it's just so exciting to see what God is up to. Uh, I tell you, our baptismal uh, pool has just been, those warders, we've been having to fill that thing up every week. And it's just been so exciting just to see God move. How many of you are excited to just see God move in such an incredible way? And so 
I couldn't be more excited about it, and I hope that you are as well. This morning, we're going to kick off a new series called Shift, and I'll get into that as we, uh, as we dive into the message here this morning. But first, I want to pray and just ask God to meet us in this place, and then we're going to dive into his word. So pray with me this morning, if you will, and then let's turn and just continue to worship through the reading and preaching of God's word. So pray with me, if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, we are so thankful for your presence in this place, and we're thankful, God, that you have uh, always been about transforming lives in the life of uh, your believers. Uh, God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your involvement. We thank you for your power. And God, we are so excited to just be able to witness all the great things that you uh, do in our midst. God, it's so exciting to just see you moving in the lives of, of so many people. Lord, we just praise you for this past week where we saw so many children come into this place and God, hear the gospel, many for the first time in their life. And Lord, even seeing so many respond so favorably to the gospel and to to say that they want Jesus in their life. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We, we pray, God, that you would continue to work in such incredible ways uh, in, in the lives of, of young people, but also old alike. And so, Father, we, we, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we thank you for all the volunteers that served this past week, and God, knowing that none of that could be possible without you. Father, we, we pray now as we dive into your word, as we open up your word and we we read together the, the truth of, of your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to set aside every distraction that exists in our life, God, that we would, we would just remove that from our minds and that, God, we would listen for your voice to speak into our life. And God, as we hear from you this morning, God, we would be faithful to respond and, and, and to turn to you, God. We love you so much. We thank you, God, for what you are doing in our lives as individuals and in this church collectively together as a faith family. God, thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you this morning and turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is where we're going to go to, to kick off this new series and, and to really just explore what it is that God wants to teach us throughout this next four weeks. But before we dive into this, I just want to say this, and while you're turning uh, to the scriptures there, I, I just want to sort of lay this out before you. Uh, as I've been praying through uh, the next couple of weeks and praying through what God would, uh, would have me to say, I came to this conclusion, and I truly believe this with all my heart, that God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on your life. And I want you to hear that. I want you to grab onto that. I believe that God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on your life. And I believe that because I believe that what God wants us to experience and what God wants us to understand and what God wants us to know is that God has called us to a life of empowerment, a life of, of true following of Jesus Christ that can only happen when God pours out his Holy Spirit 
on our life. And so I believe that God has called us here. He has gathered us here. He has assembled us here together this morning and, 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 and every day as, a, as, the, as the life of the church just continues because he wants to do something radical. He wants to do something significant. He wants to do something important in your life, not just my life, not just our leader's life, but in everyone who is sitting here this morning. I believe that the, uh, the Spirit of God is here with us and that God wants to have an outpouring into our life. You know, when we look at the disciples who gathered at Pentecost and we, and we begin to realize that God sent to them his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it says, descended upon them, we begin to realize that this was not a very quiet event. This was supernatural. This was, this was an act of God. It was powerful. And in fact, the Bible records the coming of the Holy Spirit in their life to be a time where it sounded as though the wind was rushing in. And so there was this fresh wind, if you will, that was coming into their life. And, and these disciples, they received this, and their lives from that point on were just radically changed. If you remember, if you've studied the disciples and them living their life with Jesus, they were followers, they were following Jesus. Jesus was doing many amazing things in their midst, and they were just sort of along for the ride. But from this point forward, this Pentecost event that took place in their life, this Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in their life, Life, they begin to make a shift from just the ordinary, living out the normal life that they were living, to one of power and one of authority and one where God was using them for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. And we begin to see incredible things begin to take place in these men's life. In fact, Jesus had promised them that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And they did. Power was something that they, you just could see in their life. You, as we read through the scriptures, we begin to see that, that the things that they begin to do, they could have never done on their own. And the places that they went, they would have never dreamed of going outside of what God was doing in their life. I believe this truth here today, that God wants to do the same thing in your life. I believe that. I believe that God wants to show you his power and he wants to give you his power that you can go out and do things beyond the normal, beyond the ordinary in his strength, not yours. And so this is one of the things that we're gonna be looking at here this morning and I hope that you believe that for your life as well. I believe that God is wanting to do something remarkable in your life here this morning. So this morning we're launching a new series and it's called Shift. And the big thing that we obviously wanna talk about here is accepting Jesus's invitation out of the ordinary. Accepting Jesus's invitation out of the ordinary. So Jesus has extended this invitation to us as believers to come and follow him. We know it's radical because Jesus would say to us, take up your cross and follow me daily. And if you've studied that at all, you realize that that is, uh, that is Jesus referencing the sacrifice that comes with being a follower of Christ Jesus. That is referencing the hardships that come with following Christ, but no doubt the blessings that come with following Christ. And so we're going to be looking at this invitation that Jesus is giving us 
and understanding that this invitation is one to come out of the ordinary. For so many believers in our world today, for so many followers of Christ, we see Christianity as that moment in which we get saved. We now have eternal security through Christ Jesus. In other words, we're going to heaven. And that we have this friend in Jesus that we can lean on when the, tough, when the going gets tough. For so many believers, that pretty much sums up their Christianity. And I believe that God wants so much more for us. I don't believe it's just that we can live our life and just, you know, we find ourselves in trouble. We can just pick up the hotline and we can say, hey, Jesus, I need you to bail me out once again. I don't think that's what Jesus ever intended for us as his disciples. I believe that Jesus is offering so much more. And I believe that as we dive into this high priestly prayer that we're going to be looking at here in John 17, that we begin to see this really begin to open up. And we notice this even as we look at the life of other people. I mean, Peter uh, was one. If you know anything about Peter, uh, Peter was just an ordinary guy who typically when he opened his mouth, he inserted his foot. Do you ever notice that when you read in the life of Peter? He, he would just open his mouth and he would always see the same, uh, say the seemed to say the wrong thing, and Jesus would rebuke him, and, and it was just one of these things. But in Acts chapter one and two, what we see is when the Holy Spirit comes into his life and Jesus extends this, this invitation out of the ordinary, we no longer see this man who is weak and sort of sticks his foot in his mouth, but we see this man who is a preacher of the gospel where many lives are changed. And so we'll talk more about him Later, as we dive into this, we see people like Paul whose lives were transformed and he was called and he, was, he, was, he, he made a huge shift in life as he once was the guy who was persecuting Christians. He was once the guy who was trying his best to destroy the way that is Christianity and Christ followers whose life was transformed by Jesus Christ and who ultimately went on not to destroy Christianity but to advance the kingdom of God by just embracing the power of God and being bold for Christ and going out and sharing his faith and making disciples. And we see these incredible missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul participated in to expand the kingdom of God outside of Jerusalem. And so we have all these examples of of people who Jesus invited to leave the ordinary, to not stay normal, if you will. And this series is designed to challenge us to accept the invitation as well. And so where do we start with this? Where do we get going with this? The message this morning is titled The Conviction of Truth. The Conviction of Truth. And we're gonna begin by reading John 17, starting with verse nine. Um, now, if you're familiar with this uh, passage at all, you know that John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer and that you would know that this passage is hugely significant. In other words, it's very important that we understand what Jesus is praying for in this, that we understand that this is important for our own life. But what we also need to be aware of, and that you may not be, is that it's incredibly unique what we have here. I mean, we have one of Jesus' prayers recorded in the truth of God's word, this prayer being recorded for us and what we see here is Jesus begins to pray for his followers. He begins to pray for his disciples. And what makes this so unique 
is that this prayer that he prays is just before Jesus is arrested. It is just before Jesus would go to the cross. So the cross lays before him, and no doubt Jesus is facing the cross and willing to accept the cross, but he also knows that his followers are gonna be horrified by what they see and what they witness and what they experience. He knows that his followers are gonna be confused. He understands that they're gonna feel a sense of loss when Jesus is crucified on the cross. He understands that these disciples, as they see all that lays before them, is gonna find this to be a very confusing and difficult time for them. And so Jesus, with the cross before him, he goes to the Father and he prays. He prays for his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but just the idea that Jesus would pray this for his disciples, and I am one, and I guess I'm, I'm hoping you are as well, but as disciples, if Jesus is willing to pray for me, if he's willing to intercede for me, if he is going to the Father and he's praying for these disciples, I wanna hear what it is that he thinks is worth praying for, amen? Because as we discover that, we also begin to realize what was really, truly important in his own heart. And so here we see this amazing prayer. He starts off in verse nine, he says this, I am praying for them. And I just think, what an honor to have Jesus, as he thinks about those whom he's gonna live behind, would turn to the Father and say, I am praying for them. Now this is what he says, starting in verse nine. He says, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, that's important, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given to me, and I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is the truth. So what is it that Jesus is praying for? Jesus is praying that his people would be powerfully transformed by the word of God. He is praying that they would find the word of God as something to rely on, but what he closes this portion of his prayer with is this. He's praying that they would be sanctified by the truth and the truth is your word. That's Jesus' words to, to the Father as he lifts up his prayers for his disciples. He is praying for them, and he says, I pray that their lives would be transformed by the word of God. I really appreciate this morning, 
our worship team as they were leading us in worship. And I, I think it's really cool how Spence just kind of changed things up here this morning. Uh, there, there's not this huge drum set, a little bit different, uh, no electric guitars, just sort of acoustic sort of set. I love how he changed it up. But what I really appreciated this morning was the proclaiming of God's word as they, as they went through the different passages of scripture and they were leading, they were reading scripture and it wasn't just to, to bring a catchy, edgy element to the worship service, it was, a, it was a reading of scripture that the word of God would go over you because the word of God empowers you, the word of God prepares you, it transforms you, and this is what Jesus knows. Jesus is praying that disciples would be transformed, that they would mature, they would be sanctified by the power of God's word in their life. And so this is how he wraps up this text, and it's hugely important for us to understand the need for the word of God in our life. And so that's why I've sort of named this uh, the conviction of truth as we read through this passage here together. Now, I want to highlight uh, three very powerful things very quickly to you, and then we're going to get into the, really the heart of this message here this morning. But in verse 9, we see something that's really incredible to me. Jesus says this, he says, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the first thing that Jesus really kind of throws out there is he says this, he's praying and he says, I want my joy to fulfill them. In other words, a transfer or a shift of the joy that encompasses the heart of God, the heart of Christ, to be poured out into the heart of his disciples. He wants them, knowing that they're gonna face this world of confusion and not be at all in the understanding of what's going on when Jesus goes to the cross and when, he, when they begin to witness this crucifixion and the death of their, their king and, and, and all of this, even as he ascends into heaven later, as he ascends into heaven and, 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 and goes into heaven, he understands all this. And so what, what Jesus prays for is he says, I pray that my joy would be transferred to their heart. I want them to experience the same joy that I have and just knowing that we are a part of something much greater than ourselves. And so this is really the first thing. He's praying for fulfillment and I, I'll tell you, I, I talk to so many people in, 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 every day that, that are just longing for the fullness of God in their life, that are longing for something so much greater than what they're already experiencing. They're longing for fulfillment. They're longing for joy. They're longing for contentment. They're longing for something that they, that they don't have. And so here Jesus is praying for this. He also prays. For power. Now, he doesn't come out and say, God, give them power. That isn't how he uh, approaches this. He approaches this by saying this. He says in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I love that. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm, I know I've got to go to the cross. I know I've got to bear the cross. I know my blood's going to be spilled. I know that I'm going to die for the atonement of the sins of the world. I know that. And, I, and I, I'm not asking that when you take me from this world, that you take them as well. I know that they have a purpose to remain here. And so he prays, he says, I'm not praying that they would be taken from this world. 
He says, but I do pray that you would protect them from the evil one. I do pray that you would empower them to be able to handle this world without me. And so it's a beautiful thing, especially when we begin to to look at all that scripture teaches us, going back to passages like we see in Acts 1-8 when he says, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we know that God is, I mean, that Jesus is praying for his disciples. We know that he is praying that they would find fulfillment or the fullness of God, but he's also saying, God, prepare them and empower them so that they will be ready for what they face. And then finally, he says here in verse 17, he says, and to sanctify them in the truth. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. And so sanctification, this this theological word that basically means maturing in our faith, uh, growing in our faith, it's it's a word that that is, is very important for us. We need to understand that believers are never called to just come to that place where they have a uh, 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 an intellectual understanding of who Christ is, but they are to grow and to nurture their faith in Christ Jesus. They're grow and mature in their faith in Christ Jesus to be sanctified. And we also recognize, we, this, this has to go uh, said, is that it is the Holy Spirit that sanctifies. Now, there are a lot of ways and a lot of means by which the Holy Spirit will use uh, other people, we're gonna talk about that in just a moment, to, to mature and to sanctify believers, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies. So all of this we must understand, all of these three things we must understand that Jesus is praying for his believers. And as I look at this, I find myself really convinced that fulfillment and power are really a byproduct of the sanctification. Finding that fullness of God, that fulfillment in Christ Jesus, finding that empowerment that we need to overcome the the obstacles of life, those things begin to come into our life when we begin to be sanctified by the word of God. And Jesus says, I have given them your word. You know, here's what's so remarkable about this to me is that uh, as I think about what Jesus is praying for, I begin to realize that one of, the, one of the things he's pointing at is this conviction of truth, this sanctification by truth, and, and how we recognize that fulfillment and, and power, those are byproducts, they come from this conviction of truth. And, and, and one of the things I began to think about as I studied this was, was that every aspect of our life is based off of our own personal convictions. Have you ever noticed that? Here's what I mean by this. If you are here today and and you don't believe in God, in other words, your conviction, your personal conviction is, I don't believe God exists. If you're at that place in your life, if you're at a place where you just, you know, you're just not convinced, you, you just haven't come to this place where you don't believe in God, then you are probably living your life as though you don't believe in God. That's your personal conviction. That's where you find yourself planted. That's what you believe. If you don't believe in God, you won't live your life as though there is a God. However, if you're on the other end of that spectrum, if, there, if your conviction is that there is a God and that he is holy and he is righteous and he cares so deeply for of the people of this world, that he was willing to send his son to, to be born in the flesh, 
okay, on this earth and to live out his life without sin so that he ultimately could go to the cross and it would be there that he could be crucified and it would be there that his blood could be spilled for the atonement of sins and that he was killed on that cross and then he was buried in a tomb and then in three days he had victory over sin and death by coming up out of the grave and that today he lives, then you will live your life in accordance to that belief or that conviction. That's the truth. You will live your life according to your personal convictions. And so because of that, I believe that the reason that Jesus really centers in on this, when he prays for his believers, when he is praying intently for his believers, he is not praying, God, give them a happy life. Let them just have fun with the rest of this world. Just let them go for it. That's not Jesus' prayer. Jesus is saying this. He says, sanctify them. Grow them, mature them. Let their hearts expand with your fullness. Let them experience the power of your nature. Let them experience all of that. But sanctify them in the truth of your word. He says, I gave them your word. They know your word. Let them be sanctified by the truth of your word. I believe the reason that Jesus would pray this be so serious about it, it's because he understood that people live by their convictions. So he's praying for a conviction of truth. He's praying that people's eyes would be open to the truth of who Christ is. I love the story of Paul and how he was saved on the road to Damascus. You remember? He was blinded to the truth, wasn't he? He was living his life based off of his own personal conviction that Christianity was something that need not be followed. And so he set his life about destroying Christianity. But what happened to him? On that road to Damascus, as he was going out to persecute even more Christians, as he was walking on that road, Jesus came into his life and he blinded him, uh, physically blinded him, not just spiritually blinded, but physically blinded him until he finally removed the scales and he could see the truth of who Jesus was. His convictions made a shift. His convictions changed. No longer was he a guy who saw Christianity as a problem in the world, but suddenly he saw Christianity as the way, the truth, and the life for all people. And he started living his life based off of those convictions. Jesus is praying, I pray that people would open their eyes, that they would see the truth that is for them. You know, I, I look at this too, and I, I realize that when we start talking about living by the word, living, being sanctified by the truth, those sorts of things, as we read this, we, we also realize that Jesus acknowledged that the world will never cheer you on when you live by the word. The world will never applaud you by living for Jesus. Why is that? Because the world opposes the word. The enemy opposes the word. The world will never say, way to go, Christian. You're living for Jesus because they are in total opposition of everything that the word 
gives us. The, the word of God is the, the breath of life for us from God. It is one of the greatest gifts that we have been given of God, and the world opposes that. And Jesus says this here in verse 14. He says, to, as he's praying, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. You see, they belong to God now. They don't belong to the world anymore. And Jesus acknowledges that the world hates them because they love Jesus, because they love the word, that they want to be sanctified, that their conviction are convictions of holiness and righteousness, not of sin. I think one of the reasons that the, the world hates the word of God so much is because it exposes, it reveals sin and life. It, it corrects, it, it shows the, the proper way to live according to God's design. It, it reveals to us the truth about how we are to live our life and it reveals the truth that we need a savior in our life. And so that's what the word of God does. It reveals to us that we can't make it alone, that we need the presence of God and that we have fallen and fall short of the glory of God and therefore we need a savior. It reveals a pathway of righteousness. That's what the word of God does for us. In fact, Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 and 13 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The world hates that. But let me just say this. Believers should love that. And here's why. Because conviction in our life, that which can only come from the presence of the Holy Spirit, conviction in our life is one of the greatest gifts of God's grace that he ever gave us. Conviction is one of the greatest gifts of God's grace that he has ever given us. Why? Because when we feel conviction, that is the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Outside of the Holy Spirit, there's guilt. Inside living with the Holy Spirit, there's conviction. And what we should understand is that conviction, though it points to correction, it is one of those things which is teaching us and revealing to us the presence of God in our life. It should give us warm fuzzies when we feel conviction over our sin because it says God loves us so much that he gave us the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, that there could be change in our life and that we could experience the righteousness of Christ as we live out our life and be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it means to us. It is one of the greatest gifts of God's grace. Without conviction, what do we have but guilt? God has given us conviction through the Holy Spirit of God. The word of God is foundational. The word of God is foundational. And we should stand on it as we live out our life as believers. All right, I've got four and a half minutes and that was the introduction. 
Now I've got three points in a poem and, uh, and a little song and dance. No, I'm kidding. We do have another song, though. I think this is a good place to just stop and just ask ourselves, why is it that Jesus would pray like this for us? And I think that's, anytime you can ask the question why and figure that out, that's, that's always a good thing. So I, I stopped and I asked this question, why would Jesus pray like this for his people? And I came up with 42 things I wanna give you this morning. I'll give you three real quickly. The first one is this, Jesus knew that faith releases potential. Faith releases potential. Think about the task that the disciples had when Jesus ascended into heaven. You remember what they did? They were instructed to go back to Jerusalem and wait, right? I bet they walked back to Jerusalem and they climbed up in that upper room before the Holy Spirit had come and they were like, what in the world? Have you ever been there where you're just like, you know, God's just kind of hit the pause button on you, you know, you're, you're waiting on God and you're like, what next for me? Where is this going? What is God up to? You know, you realize real quickly that it's not funny, God, you've got me on a need to know basis and right now you don't think I need to know, but I wanna know. You know, have you ever been there? Where, you know, I can almost imagine that the disciples, as they climb up, they're like, what now? And I imagine there was confusion, and there was fear, and there was uncertainty, and they just didn't know what was ahead of them in the future. And as they thought about all of that, they were wondering, what in the world? But here's what I do believe, is that Jesus knew that faith releases potential. And you see, the thing about faith is Faith redefines our identity. And I think they were going through an identity shift as they were live, left there behind to, to carry on the work of God. There was this huge identity shift that was taking place because when faith comes into the picture, our lives begin to be transformed. They begin to be molded and shaped and, and God is preparing us for the future. And he knows the potential because he, with God, all things are possible and he has great plans for his church to go out and to make his name known and to bring glory to who he is. And so he has great plans for them and Jesus was leaving them into the world. In fact, he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Jesus is leaving his disciples there to do their thing. And he, I believe it's because Jesus knows that faith releases potential. It opens the door for you and I to be used in a powerful way to advance the kingdom of God, to bring glory to his name, to live for him, to accept that path of righteousness and live our life for Jesus. No faith, no conviction of truth. It's just an opportunity that you'll never embrace. But faith, it unleashes it unleashes the church onto the world to go out and make an impact, eternal impact on the world. Here's the second thing I'm convinced that Jesus knew. Jesus knew that community provides security. Community provides security. One of the primary means of sanctification that God uses is other believers. You know, the, the reality is if God wants to grow us, mature us, he can do it all without anybody else, but he chooses 
to use other believers. Iron sharpens iron. And so God knows this, and he, he allows opportunities for one disciple to impact the life of another disciple or one disciple to go out and share the gospel that someone else can know Jesus and then become a disciple and be discipled by disciples. But one of the most primary means by which the Holy Spirit uses to impact other people's lives is each other. And I know that Jesus understood that community provides security. And so here we see where Jesus even prayed that they be one. In other words, he was describing the spirit of unity that existed in the church, and he's praying, God, keep them together. Help them remain tight like family. And this is what he's praying for, that they would remain one. And I believe, as he's speaking of protecting them from the evil one, that he is also sure that community provides security. Last week, I was, or a couple of weeks ago, I was riding my motorcycle up in South Dakota. And if you've ever been to South Dakota, uh, you can see from wherever you're at about 170 miles. I, I don't think there are any trees in South Dakota. There's either uh, fields or there's pasture, but there's really there not even many hills, at least not where I was at. I could see for miles. And I'm riding my motorcycle, and, and all the way, there's nothing but cows on both sides. I mean, there's obviously pasture and grass for miles and miles and miles and, and all these cows. And what I noticed was the cows were at that place. Their spring is a little later than our spring and they were just dropping their calves. And so they were all having baby calves and they were, some of them were just still wobbly on their feet. They were little bitty things, you know? And so I noticed these calves and I thought, man, how cute. You know, I just want to pet one. I want to hold one. And, and so I'm riding along, you know, trying to remain tough biker kind of guy, you know, but but really being moved by these little calves. And so as I'm riding, I notice all these little groups of cows. And, and finally, as I look ahead about 70 miles, I can see this group of cows, and they're not like the rest of the cows. They're in the circle. And I, I begin to think, well, there must be a food lot or something there. And then as I got closer, I wondered, well, where are the calves? I didn't see any calves. And then I got a little bit closer, and I begin to realize that the calves were inside the circle and all the mamas were shoulder to shoulder in this huge circle with their rear ends facing out, which is a beautiful sight, by the way. And, and so all these cows are just grouped around the circle with all the calves in the middle. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And then I noticed there were two coyotes standing there. Now, what do you suppose those coyotes wanted for lunch? They wanted what was inside that circle. They wanted what those cows were protecting. And by the way, I just referenced us as cows, okay? I don't know what that has to do with anything, but they wanted what was inside of that circle. And I realized that community provides security. Because if those coyotes were gonna get even a single calf, they were gonna have to go through mama's greatest defense, right? It wasn't gonna happen. What a picture of what community is supposed to be for each other. We, should, we, should, we are here living our life as believers to bring glory to God, and we should be about protecting one another from an enemy who wants to destroy. Jesus is praying this for us. And finally, Jesus is praying because he knew that maturity enables contribution. Maturity and I'm talking about spiritual maturity. And let me explain this. 
Maturity enables contribution. Spiritual maturity is needed in so many areas of your life. There are so many areas of your life and my life where spiritual maturity is needed. And as believers who are maturing in their faith, they have a contribution to add that people outside of that could never add. Let me, let me explain what I'm talking about here. First of all, spiritual maturity leads to relational contribution. Here, here's the truth of the matter. Every one of us in this room, we enjoy our relationships, don't we? In fact, we like having relationships. We want to have friends. We want to have relationships with people. But unfortunately, we're not always good at them. We're not always real good at them. Many times we have relationships that just seem to fall apart. Many times we just have relationships that don't seem to last. But you see, what spiritual maturity does is it enables us to live our life in a different way, to make a shift in how we relate to other people, and suddenly our relationships begin to change because we have a contribution to add that we didn't have when we were shallow in our faith or maybe before we were a believer in Christ Jesus. Spiritual maturity helps us relate in our families. Let me just say this. We can never be the husband and the wife and the daddy and the mama, the brother or the sister that God designed us to be in a family unit without spiritual maturity. We need to understand the need to grow. We need to understand the need to be sanctified in the truth of God's word. We need to be studying the Bible. That's, that's what I've been talking about. We need to be studying the Bible. We need to be reading the truth of God's word because it's in that all of this that we've talked about begins to take place. We become better husbands and dads. Let me just say one wrong thing to Linnell and she said, you need to read your Bible. That's what she tells me. Buddy, you're not going to talk to me like that. That's what and I'll say, well, look at how you're talking. And then I realize that's the wrong approach. So anyway, I'm sure y'all don't struggle with things like that. It's just me and Linnell. Jesus saw it so important to pray for us that we would be sanctified in the truth of God's word. Why would we never feel the same way? You know what's really amazing is Jesus prayed this prayer for his disciples and he went to the cross and he died on the cross. He was taken down from the cross. He was buried in a tomb. In three days he rose from the grave. He had victory over sin and death. He ultimately pulls his disciples aside and he he tells them of his plans to make a departure and he ascends into heaven. They go back to the upper room. And we see in the book of Acts one of the greatest stories, I believe, of God unleashing potential and unleashing power to the church in Acts 1 and 2. The disciples, they go back to this upper room and the Holy Spirit comes sweeping in and they were, they were people who were ready. They were people who were hungry and thirsty for whatever it was that God had 
in store for them. And they were ready for this. And they received the Holy Spirit. And we begin to see this huge shift in their life. And there was one man, his name was Peter, and he was a fisherman, you see. He was just an ordinary person like you and me. He was a guy who had followed Jesus for three years. He was a guy who made more mistakes and he got it right. He was a guy who was just living his life, trying to learn but he was at a place now where he received the Holy Spirit of God. He welcomed the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in his life. He welcomed that and he was changed because of it. He began to come to a place where he believed his conviction was that God was real and that God loved him and that God had great plans for him and that God wanted to empower him to do things greater than he could ever do on his own and to take him to places he never dreamed of. And this man, he began to tell people about Jesus. And as he told people about Jesus, he said, let me tell you about this carpenter who came into my life and he changed me. He showed me that he was the way and the truth and the life. He told me that he would go to the cross and his blood would be spilled. And as his blood was spilled on this earth, that it would atone for the sins. And it did. And it changed my life and my friend's life and everybody's life. And he began to proclaim the truth. And he says, this Jesus who is my hope is your hope. And that day, 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. This fisherman, who was an ordinary man, changed by the power and the presence of Christ Jesus. God wants to do the same thing in your life. So, Brandon, he wants to do the same thing in your life. You know that, right? Ross, he wants to do the same thing in your life, right? You know that? God wants to unleash the potential in ordinary people. And Jesus gives an invitation to ordinary people to leave the normal and experience the supernatural power and presence of God in ways they could only. Just looking around the room. There are more than enough people sitting right here that if we would embrace that challenge, that thing that Jesus prayed for us over, if we would embrace that and run with that, would be more than enough. I'm not even talking about the first service. I'm not talking about the children and the volunteers that are outside. I'm just talking about those that are sitting in this room right here. There are more than enough of us to reach the city for Jesus. Jesus had 12 people. And he prayed for the Spirit of God to move in their life. And they changed the world. Let me ask you a question here this morning. What's going to be your next move? What's going to be your next move? In just a moment, the band's going to come out. And they're, going to, they're going to lead us in this next song. And, you know, this, this altar is a great place to just come and to just thank God for what he's done in our life, to pray and ask God to move in your life, to pray and ask God to just fill you with the presence, the fullness of God like that. That's what I'm praying for. I don't believe for one minute 
that God is finished with us, Cross Point Church. And I believe that when we become a church who continue to believe that Jesus changes everything, and we do believe that Jesus changes everything, right? Amen. That when we become that faith family that believes that Jesus changes everything, we will cease to be amazed.